Hi, this is Rob Marshall, director of Memoirs of a Geisha. And John DeLuca. I'm the co-producer and choreographer. And second unit director, John. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's an invaluable part of the process. And uh, we're here watching um, our movie. It's very exciting to be here together. Um, we worked on this project for what, John? Two years all together? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, Two hard, long years. <laughs> and wonderful years, unbelievably yes. rewarding. And it was an honor, I have to say, an honor to, um, to bring Arthur Golden's incredible novel to the screen. I mean, I really, when I look at this, I think of his work because this all came from him. And he's such a master. This was his first novel, which, when you think about it, is quite extraordinary. And um, obviously, this is uh, all seen through this young child's perspective. As you see her open up the open up the curtain to see what's going on, and um, that's how Arthur wrote it. Actually, it, it was interesting, John. He 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 said to me um, that he wrote this three times. The first time he wrote it, the first two times he wrote it in third person, and it wasn't until he wrote it from the first person as a child, uh, seen through her eyes and through her voice that he really felt it came to life. Rob really insisted on having this scene start in Japanese. We had shot it also in English. We have these two wonderful actors here, and everybody spoke Japanese in these scenes, so I just felt that we needed to enter a completely foreign and unique world and also be in this position where you feel discombobulated and as young Chio does here she doesn't know what's happening in her life and uh, she's disoriented as we are as viewers hopefully that's the wonderful actor Mako playing her old father old Sakamoto he was incredible in the sand pebbles John so many great movies mm. this opening was um, incredibly hard to to create because there's so much rich material at the beginning of this novel and both Robin Swicord and I worked very closely with uh, Arthur Golden trying to figure out how we would condense the opening of this movie, um, condense the novel so we could put it in the movie and um, it was not easy. Uh, there's so much rich material but really thought that being ripped from her family was sort of the first sort of violent act that changes uh, and thrusts her, her life forward into a completely different world. There are also many more words here, much more dialogue that Rob chose to just delete and just really move this at a breakneck speed. Mm -hmm. I, think the, I, think, I think the beginning of a movie is so key. I actually learned that in theater from, uh, from Hal Prince. <laughs> Funnily enough, how important the first 10 minutes of anything is because it really sets the tone and the world and the energy and the movement of something. And um, I think that's something that's so true about film. And now we hear, um, for the first time, English. This is our narrator. And um, this is the older Sayuri's voice. And it's almost as if she's translating her story for us now. We've heard the Japanese up until now, and now we begin to hear this, um, this story told in English. For the Western world. Mm -hmm. 
And then from then on, uh, the dialogue is all in English. And the story is sort of told to us that way. It's interesting. I see these two train stations. We shot this actually up in uh, Sacramento, if you can believe it. Um, and they were literally 100 yards from each other. The train station she gets on and the train station she gets off, it's the same train. And now we're in our Hanamachi, which um, is this, was the, was the incredible set that we built. John Meyer, our production designer, created this world for us. Um, and it was very difficult because we wanted to shoot in Japan, but we found that there were very few areas that had a series of streets that still looked like they did. And this, is, this takes place in 1929 here. And so we realized early on that we were going to have to build. Um, and of course, shoot in Japan for, for many things that were untouched by modern times, like gardens and shrines and temples and things. So there she is. Yes, the entrance of uh, Gong Li, the great, great actress from China, so well known. And um, it's the first geisha we see in the movie as well. She floats off into the night. She does. What, what, what they call it, uh, butterfly of the night. It's very. You can still feel this um, when you're in Kyoto now. You can see take see a glimpse of a geisha sort of disappearing down a side alley. It's really quite remarkable. As I watch, I just remember, Rob, what you'd always said. You wanted everything veiled. You wanted to be seeing, like seeing through fabric. Mm -hmm. You wanted to create this mystery throughout, and it's just... The shot here, John, do you remember? It was the first yes. shot that we, that we shot in the movie. Yeah. Our first day of shooting. I see, did. right he, here, this is shot through, I don't know if you can see, it's through it's these series of beads, the sort of side shot there. And that's something that Dion Beebe and I worked very hard on to create a mysterious and exotic and sensual hidden world. And uh, wanted to give a sense that we were peering into this world. And so we constantly shot through fabric or bamboo or um, screens of some kind to give a sense of a hidden world. The actors here, um, Kori Momoi, who's one of the great actors of Japan, she plays mother. Here she's making her first time I actually see her face full. <laughs> um, she's an extraordinary actor who worked for Kurosawa. And um, people call her the Meryl Streep of Japan. And uh, I think you can see why sometimes, don't you, John? She has such range. She never ceased to surprise me, take after take, and even watching the movie over and over, though it's in the can, I see a new, a new spark from her every time I watch. Very alive. And then also in this scene, Sai Chin, um, incredible actor who's done a great movies, Joy Luck Club. You only live twice, John. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she was a Bond girl. And then Suzuka Ogo, who was our young Chio here, who was... She's never spoken a word of English until she did this movie. She's, uh, she, she did a, a movie with Ken Watanabe in Japan, and that's how we found out about her. Francine Maisler, our casting director, and, and Yoko, helped us find uh, 
her and Ken was the one who really brought her to our attention. We saw a tape of her and fell in love. Fell in love. Even though she couldn't speak English. She could she did a little ballet dancing, remember? <laughs> yeah. I think what I think one of the great challenges on this film, I say, was the language for everybody. Because we had Japanese actors, Chinese actors, um, speaking everything from Mandarin to Cantonese to Japanese and on the set. And so um, I worked with interpreters to, um, to speak to these actors. And uh, thank God we had the rehearsal we had, because if we didn't have that, um, that rehearsal time prior, I think it would have been a little more complicated on the set. I don't know if we would have gotten anything shot during the day. But um, I'll tell you, I, I was I was blown away by how these actors learned English. I mean, right here we we have a Japanese girl, and then we have a young girl who lives up in Massachusetts, Zoe Weisenbaum, who's playing um, young Pumpkin. And uh, they couldn't speak to each other, um, but they but kids are great because kids find their way. They mm -hmm. um, they they had they had little sign language <laughs> that they did each other's great there's the water thing that we just see running through the kitchen there and that little yeah moat there the, you'll see the water imagery imagery throughout we um it starts with the the fishing village john where we where we, be, where we began the water of course we had so much more material we right we have a beautiful fishing village scene that <laughs> yeah sequence there that we had to let go because it's important to jump into for for i think for me it was important yeah. to jump into this into the story and, and, and send us into this world. But the water you'll see, for instance, here, you'll see water throughout because it really represents her journey. Um, she is water. Um, it's that, um, it's one of the first things that's said by the narrator, and that is that even though um, water meets an obstacle, it finds a new path, and that really is her journey. I think she continues to move forward even when she faces adversity, and I think that's what separates her. It's the, it's the water in her, the blue in her eyes. Colleen Atwood was our costume designer on this movie, and uh, we were fortunate to have worked with her before in Chicago. In fact, we carried a lot of people from Chicago with us onto this movie. We, um, not only the costume designer, but also the production designer, John Meyer, and the cinematographer, Dion Beebe. Another example here, John, of shooting through fabric. Uh -huh. and The screens. Yeah. I felt that was really a, a wonderful, I don't know, comfort for me to have people I'd worked with before and it really gave me a sense of security and we had we have sort of found a language and and uh, I think this was the challenge of a lifetime for all of us I mean everybody said it to me every day didn't they John yes and it's also they're also not only uniquely and sublimely gifted but they're just great collaborators yeah they they're great and that's collaborators. the way Rob works yeah I like to I like to involve people in decisions, but in, in everybody, you know, we 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 talk about if I, if I'm having a meeting about, for instance, Gong Li's kimono here, the sort of robe that she's wearing here, 
um, I want the cinematographer and the production designer and everyone to be aware of uh, the color we've chosen and why, and so try and involve everybody. I think it's maybe coming from theater. Gong Lee was making her, or is making her English language debut in this movie as well. Or did these actors work hard on their English? Goodness. We had, um, during rehearsal, we had about seven rooms going at the same time. One room I'd be working on the scene work, and in another room, John would be doing the dance work. And then there was a room where there would be uh, dialect and language work, obviously. A couple rooms working on that. Um, we had... Uh, a room where Liza Dalby, our geisha expert, was teaching shamisen and how to move and walk and pour sake. Tea ceremony we were, was taught. Um, it was intense. It was intense. Mm -hmm. But I did feel, I have to say, I felt very... I guess honored is, the, is really the word to be working with these great actors, um, even though they were you know, not speaking English. I, I really felt I, 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 I felt like I had a great communication with them because um, I think great, great acting really transcends language. And their commitment was paramount. They had such immense respect for their characters True. and for the piece on the, as a whole. True. It's so interesting, the child here, she has no idea what a geisha is. She's in this, she's, it's, you know, this is very Dickensian in a way, isn't it? Mm. Being taken from your family, sold into slavery, with, um, with no sense of what your life will be. And uh, this, sh this is a great example of, 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 our, of the streets that we built. Especially this, um, this one of our bigger shots coming up here. This is, it begins here, this one shot. And uh, we crane up here. And you get a sense of the, our village. Which is actually in uh, north of Los Angeles in Ventura. <laughs> which is hard to imagine. But it was the only way we could control not only the period, which was the 20s and the 30s and the 40s when this is, is, takes place, pre-war Japan, post-war Japan, but also all four seasons, spring, summer, winter, and fall. This here, funnily enough, right here, that transition right there, we are now in, out in San Francisco at Golden Gate Park. <laughs> <laughs> all our secrets are being revealed, John, I think. Mm -hmm. But it was so beautiful after coming back from Japan and having this world come to because we saw little pockets of it as Rob said mm. and then to see the whole town take shape as it would have looked yeah I mean it was interesting we could never have done this without going to Japan for instance we went to the Sea of Japan hoping to shoot there and that was what helped us find the Sea of Japan the opening sequence we looked for uh, Northern California was unbelievably similar in terms of terrain in terms of the look so that um, that really that, that was invaluable I mean, you, obviously, the whole point of this movie is to take us to a different world. And then, of course, we were lucky enough to shoot in Japan. We, and you've seen examples of that already, the shots of the mountains. 
That's this what... dance teacher in that last scene was Miyako Tachibana, oh, who yes. was my Japanese dance assistant. Yes. I also had an American Denise Fay was also on board, mm-hmm. but she, Miyako, was invaluable in terms of keeping me on track. Yep. That's <laughs> and inspiring it. me. Yeah. Here we are in Granny's room. Mm-hmm. I think she's seeing what's interesting here for me, um, and it's one of the things that actually Gong Li helped me with as we worked on this, and that is giving Hatsumomo a fully dimensional character so that she doesn't just become this evil geisha who's territorial. Um, she, she also, we see her with her lover, I mean, one of the most incredible things about the geisha world is that at this time, uh, you geisha never married, and they had no choice in terms of love. They had no choice in terms of who they loved. So if there was a love of theirs, it had to be secret and hidden, and that's what Chio catches a glimpse of out the window. And I think ultimately it's, it's, it's that that lack of being able to own your own heart that I think really destroys Hatsumomo ultimately. <laughs> I remember, I'm sorry, I was, I was just going to say I remember working on this scene, John, I'm sure you're going to say the same thing. I was. This scene was extraordinary in that both of these actors, neither of them speak English. So Gong Li is Chinese and Suzuka, who is Japanese, um, are speaking to me through interpreters, and I'm speaking to them through interpreters, and they can't speak to each other except in the scene in English. And um, But the truly remarkable thing was, as we continued filming, um, you know, it's always hard to make a day to, to finish your filming on time, and Rob's always trying to, get, trying to work as quickly as possible. He literally would, would forego the interpreters. He would understand. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. But I would, like, I would look, how did you know what she said? But he, there was some kind of communication... It was deeper than the words, which mm. was beautiful. That's, uh, thank you, John. I, I think it was. It was. I, I think it's just because after a while you get to know actors and you know what they're feeling even before they tell you. And and certainly shorthand was something important. Also, um, charades helped a lot. Eugenia, Yuan, wonderful actor, who um, plays her friend Corinne. Again, filming through the... Mm. This is also another moment for Chio to get a sense of how forbidden it is for um, someone to mention a boyfriend's name in this world. You notice there are no men in the Okias. It's all women. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, it really is extraordinary that that it was an, a, a woman-run business even then. I mean, every single um, tea house owner and every Okia owner, uh, every mother, obviously, they were, it was all women-run. When we went to Kyoto, we were to do some research on the movie. It was fantastic. We brought the entire team. And... Um, we were entertained by Geisha at the Ishiriki Tea House, which is sort of the famous tea house 
the tea house that takes where the novel takes place as well and um, also we saw a young Michael got made up didn't we John from mm. top to bottom and there's an incredible moment I'll never forget when we were watching this Maiko which means apprentice geisha get made up the mother of the Okia came in and was very nice to us and said hello in Japanese and then she started screaming at this young geisha young Maiko in uh, in Japanese going come on let's go you're you're late you're you're late you're late late you gotta move it and then you realize how how important time is for them because it's money I remember looking at you it was like boy something went off it was like it still mm. exists yeah and you see you see I mean that's a big part of mother's character obviously she's she's running the Sokia and that's how they they live off this one geisha everyone in that household lives off of Hatsumomo but of course as you see she's the rebel geisha and uh, although the most one of the most popular most beautiful geisha she really is sort of the one who is uh, <laughs> the one who doesn't really follow the rules. And you can imagine at this time how much more important it was to be a head geisha because those geisha were the trendsetters of their time. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we took liberties with the look was because for me it was important to establish that that they were the supermodels of their time. It need to be we needed to be see them in a more glamorous way than a sort of a documentary sort of authentic style. This is all a fable. I saw it as a fable. And um, I think that was very important. You know, we did an enormous amount of research for I can't even tell you mm. how long. Um, so we would know from where to depart. And we only departed, I mean, I only felt we needed to depart from the reality of this world in order to serve the story. And it's told through a child's eyes, and it was important, really, to see it that way. That was the one blessed freedom Rob gave all of the creative team, was he wanted us to do the research as if we were doing filming a documentary. But then, let it go and let your own artistic sense come in. That's all we can really do as artists, I think. It's your impression of the world. And uh, I certainly wasn't interested in doing a documentary of this fable. And uh, I think it gave everybody the chance then to bring their artistry to it. You're right, John. And we were religious in changing all the names of the towns and the tea houses. And mm -hmm. Yeah. This is not, not Kyoto, but Miyako. And this is the Hanamachi, not the Gion. Yeah. Another water image here. It, it, it was very helpful. I mean, transitions to me are very important in film um, because otherwise uh, you feel the stop and start of scenes. And it's, it's important for me to sort of at least make the attempt at trying to find seamless ways of moving in and out of scenes so you don't feel that kind of, you know, the seams. Um, and uh, the water imagery really helped me. Uh, as 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 the transitions were were created. What you put this poor little girl through? <laughs> she was the trooper. I mean, I'll never forget. Suzuka was amazing. I mean, it, I I think that the harshest part of this geisha's life is at the beginning of this story. And I would say to her things like, you know, today you're gonna walk in rain and then you're gonna, 
you know, fall off a roof and get whipped and learn that your parents have died. And, and she'd say to me, okay, <laughs> because that's what you could say in English, okay. But I'm telling you, I've never seen anything mm -hmm. like it. And still kept that smile on her face, yeah. even though she was in the rain and got whipped. How many takes? Take Amazing. after take. Amazing. Extraordinary. Here she is in the running mm -hmm. in the rain, freezing cold, and and um, just the, this. Uh, it's, it's something that Suzuka and Z shared was this, uh, and is this incredible joy and spirit. So matching that, and I also think they happen to resemble each other in in, in many ways, but. That wasn't what was important to me. What was important to me really was that the inside, the spirit, was something they shared, and it was incredible to um, to find them. I really feel uh, unique in that way, right, John? Mm. We were lucky. We mm -hmm. did scour yeah. <laughs> Japan yeah. and the. Yeah. We went everywhere looking for these characters. Yeah. This is a portion of the set that we redressed, actually, to make it look like sort of the, the sort of more down part of, uh, of, of uh, our, our village. Obviously, she's on the other side of the tracks here. It's very much like Amsterdam. Um, the Japanese prostitutes at that time used to sit in the window as we just saw, you'll see another one coming up here. They just they sit in the window and uh, wait for customers there. What's interesting about Satsu here, obviously a 15-year-old who sold into prostitution, is that you it makes it seem as though. Chio's life, even though she's, you know, in, uh, works as a slave in a geisha house, is so much better. If you see, for instance, instead of the full white geisha makeup, the prostitutes only wear their makeup on the neck, um, so as to not smear, because they have customer after customer. So you see, it just goes up to the chin, and the obi is tied in front. If you can see that, where Chio's obi is tied in the back. It's tied in the front so it can be quickly um, loosened and unloosened. It's shocking when you think about a child of this age, John, being right. Right. being sold into prostitution. And for people who don't know the obis, that, that piece of fabric that goes around their waists. Thank you, John. When I think about the father at the beginning of this novel and beginning of this movie, um, making that decision, that unbelievable decision, though his wife is is dying and he doesn't have much of a choice, but I think he believed truly that both of his daughters would be would be in a, working in a geisha house. I don't think he had any, obviously, any idea that his one daughter would be sold into prostitution. I can't even fathom that choice. I mean, just mm -hmm. I can't even really. It's I, hard for me to. I think it really was about no choice, really. Yeah. Obviously, as we talked about before, the only way a geisha can have her own love is to hide. I have to say, when I watched the scene, John, that Gong Li could 
possibly won't be one of the greatest actors I'll ever work with in my life. I remember when I was just I was just astonished filming this scene because of the amazing passion and depth and commitment, unbelievable, and not to mention the beauty. Thank God we had created a cast on for Chio so that when she was being whipped, she wasn't feeling it at all. Mm. That was very hard to make a child do. She was extraordinary once again. Take her arms. This next scene coming up was very difficult for mm -hmm. Li, as we called her, Gong Li. Yeah, and in China, Gong is the last name, Li is the first, so her name's really Li Gong, in our way of, of speaking. When Pietro, um, our wonderful editor, and I put this together, the scene together, we really worked hard to be able to stay on Gong Li as long as possible here, as you see, because she goes through so many emotions, from anger to humiliation to sadness. Of course, she sees the child who's ruined her, basically ruined her life. And Gong Li and I talked a lot about that, this, uh, this exact moment being the moment that really ch changes her her view of, of, of Chio. He would give her notes through tears. She, we would stop filming and then she would just weep. She'd let it all out and then we'd go back and shoot it. Then she'd hold on to it again. Mm -hmm. She was remarkable. Mm -hmm. So obviously Chio's trapped here with uh, no place to go and, and desperate to meet her sister. This, this is what I love about this character, you know? Um, she doesn't, she, she tr tries to take destiny into her own hands even though she's told she can't. This is a sequence we storyboarded and it was much longer, much longer um, sequence on the roof, um, this escape. And um, John, you choreographed this well, whole sequence. I remember sequence. working on this. I had a double before Susan, because you were using Susan in some scenes, and I had a double. And then she came onto the set. She just appeared. And she came up to me and asked me if she could do it. Mm -hmm. And she did everything. She did every bit of what you're seeing. Right. It was, she was really, she wanted to be up there. Yeah. And she falls. This is her falling and catching herself and everything. It's fun, though, for kids. I think it'd be fun. <laughs> I'd want to do it, too. This is all built on a soundstage um, because obviously she can't be that high up with a child. So you have, and we didn't have to use any harnesses or anything like this. So this really is about, what would you say, John, about 20 feet up or yeah, something like that. Yeah. I have to bring up John Williams here for a moment, John, because oh. who, who did this incredible score. So lucky to have him and it was I'll never forget sitting down with him at lunch at the commissary at Sony, and he said to me, um, I've never asked to do a film before, 
but I'd like to ask to do Memos of Acacia. And I think he really wanted to do something different and something challenging. And I was, I was in heaven from beginning to end with him. He is such a gentleman, so elegant, and such an artist. And um, he did something also that he said he rarely does. He, for this sequence right here, there were three different options, for, and, which I couldn't believe. Very different as well. Some more abstract than others. Um, he's in, he was um, thrilling to work with. Thrilling to work with. That that transition was something uh, that worked out earlier on because uh, wanted to find a way to m abruptly move into the scene and not actually see the landing of the fall. You know. Kimono destroyed. Geisha school rice and pickles train ticket. Mr. Beck, all this on top of the money I paid Mr. Tanaka. I love that cigarette in there because uh, this sort of explains Kaori, who, <laughs> who plays mother. Um, I remember uh, we were going to put tobacco in that little pipe because that's it's that's a sort of a period pipe from that time. And we started putting the tobacco, and she said, oh, that would take too much time for Mother. So she just shoved the cigarette right in there. It just shows that she she only thinks from character, which is great. This was her audition scene. I remember she screen-tested with this, and Rob and I watched it, and we mm -hmm. both said, no, oh, she's too young and too beautiful. Yeah. She was really, she's a beauty. Mm -hmm. And then we just said, wait. wait. And then we watched, watched her, yeah. one over. Yeah. These funeral tablets. Yeah. That but, any Japanese watching would know. Yeah. Right now, you know that the parents have died. Without, but for us, um, for the Western audience, we don't understand till she. We actually hear the words, but those are funeral tablets. There was so much that we learned. One of the joys of doing this piece was because we spent two years on this. You can enrich your life by learning so much about another culture. I've always been fascinated by Japan, but to be able to really sink ourselves, sink our lives into the world and immerse ourselves into this world, it was, it was an incredible and rewarding and difficult and ultimately amazing experience, really. And to see the cultures coming together as well on the set. Mm. The interactions and the, the joy and the laughter and the tears and the fears and the it was it was you know our pan Asian cast was very proud to be working with each other I think that was incredibly exciting for them and um, I know that they were in, in awe of each other I felt that so palpably over at the Japanese opening the mm. world premiere yeah yeah they were so proud that a quote-unquote Hollywood movie had been made without a huge, huge box office star. Right. I remember we were in the front of Time Asia, and they were the first sort of pan-Asian cast, and it was very exciting. I should probably explain my philosophy about casting, as we're about to meet the brilliant Ken Watanabe as the chairman. I, I, like I said before, they had worked together in a film, and they had played father and daughter, and... Um, that's how we found out about Suzuka. But Ken was such an obvious choice for this role. Um, I met him um, the day after the 
premiere of The Last Samurai in New York and went to his hotel room. And I'll never forget when he opened the door, I was really expecting to see kind of this imposing samurai tough guy. And what I met was this charming, elegant, lovely man who to me was the chairman immediately. He's so funny. And what I realized and as we began talking is that he'd never played a role close to, that was close to himself. And this, in many ways, was freeing for him, I think. He got to play something that was really closer to who he is. And, uh, but in terms of casting, I think one thing I would say, John, and I know you know this, obviously, but just to share it with everybody, is that I really feel that it's a simple idea, and that is the best person for the role gets the, gets the role. And every one of these actors claim their roles and that's the great hope as a director you hope that they'll walk in and you'll meet them and they'll say this is mine you know when i think about this scene such an important scene because this small little meeting this sort this this accidental meeting changes the course of her life, I think, the, the, uh, because I think for the first time this child experiences an act of kindness in a very cruel world. Smile for me, won't you? <laughs> there now, that is your gift to me. This will buy you supper. Now promise me one thing. Next time you take a tumble, no frowns. <laughs> That's better. That smile. Yeah. I don't think, obviously, the chairman has any idea what he's done here. Um, he's just seen a sad girl that reminded him probably of his children. But he changes this young girl's life forever. It really is the thing that makes it uniquely a fable, isn't it, John? Mm -hmm. That something like that can change a child's life. Now we enter Japan, this incredible Fushiminari shrine in Kyoto, which is literally five kilometers of those orange Tori gates working their way up a hill. Absolutely exquisite. I remember you seeing and said, it's in the film. Yeah. <laughs> if we can get it, <laughs> if we can secure the location. And it doesn't hurt to have Isak Perlman playing the violin here either. <laughs> John came up with this wonderful, John Williams came up with this wonderful concept, which was that the chairman would be represented by the violin and ultimately play, played by Isak Perlman. And Sayuri's voice throughout her theme would be played by the cello, which is uh, in our film played by Yo-Yo Ma. So we had two of the greatest soloists in the world playing um, the two main characters' themes. This was an incredible temple in, in Kyoto that we filmed. And um, to me, it's the end of Act One. The only reason we, we got permission to shoot at that temple, if you recall, John, is that the head monk, her, the head monk uh, loved the movie Chicago, <laughs> <laughs> which I couldn't quite believe. Because we it, took it, though. It took an enormous amount of time to secure the rights to shoot in some of these places in Japan over a year. And uh, Patty Witcher, our executive producer, was tenacious. tenacious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good word for her. Exactly. 
Now we meet Yuki Kudo, who plays Pumpkin, older Pumpkin, and obviously Zi Zhang as Sayuri. Or Chiyo's still here, right, John? Hasn't become That's Sayuri. I remember when uh, this cut with a chinchilla <laughs> collar came on to the set. People's mouths literally fell open. Before you play, when you make a fool of yourself, your big sister gets the blame. Stop crying, your face will run. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I, I look at Z here, and I remember how many women we saw for this role, John. Extraordinary, because the demands of this role were huge. She had to be. Here she plays 15. She had an age from 15 to 35. She had to be a great actor and a great beauty. She had to obviously speak English, and she had to become a. She had to be a great dancer, a brilliant dancer, because not only did she, does she dance in this movie, but she had to, in very short amount of time, learn how to be a geisha, which actually takes a lifetime to learn. So she was. Um, and everything, the way you tilt your head, the way you hold your purse, the way, uh, mm -hmm. you know... Turning your feet, John, when you walk, and everything and is a dance. Yeah, and yeah. having that knowledge of the physical really, really... I mean, here she doesn't have any of that. Right now she's just the, she's just the sort of the, uh, the awkward teenager who hasn't had any lessons because for the past whatever years... She's a slave. She's a slave. But then the transformation happens and you start seeing the transition and that would never have happened without a, a great dancer. Couldn't, we could never have taught that. It's interesting, we didn't hire any geisha, so to both our Japanese and Chinese actors, we had to teach them how to be geisha. We auditioned geisha. Yeah, we did, <laughs> yeah. Couldn't really act. Well, the language, <laughs> the language really Yeah, the language is prompt too, yeah. And the role does demand such oh an gosh. emotional depth. Yeah. And she has to carry the picture. Mm -hmm. This was a this was invented from uh, that something that wasn't in the novel, her seeing him. But Robin Swicord um, and and myself felt it was really important to see the older actor meet him before. Because I, I, I think you don't really make that, I don't know, that connection unless you see this actor see him. So this, this, that, that little moment was something that was created. And you also, I remember you saying you also wanted to keep the chairman alive, mm -hmm. which was, I think, that, that helps. Mm -hmm. Now we have the entrance. Well, we saw a glimpse of her before at the top of the stairs, but now we have the proper entrance of one of our favorite people, John Michelle Yeoh, as Mameha. Yes. Mm hmm A great leader for the company, I have to say, too. Mm -hmm. She'd worked with Z before in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, she never worked with Gong Li before, but knew her well. Out, I think kind of knew her from around um, cinema, obviously, and great became great friends with Ken Watanabe and Kori Momoi. She just really is an extraordinary leader. 
Mm. And I think to know her is to just warm to her. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> well, she's very much like Mameha, I think. Yes, she is. She's wise and elegant and kind. What's interesting about this scene is that what's being said is not really what's what it, the scene's about. <laughs> it's all these little formalities. It's very Japanese in a way, because it's all, you know, the, Jap the Japanese have this incredible formality to their language and to their way, where ultimately when I've dealt with them, and I know many people feel this way, that they rarely say no. But even when they mean no. So you have to learn. It's very gracious, actually, I have to say. But that's very much what the scene is about. It's really, that. see this little move of the teacup is very much like a chess move. And that's really what this scene is. It's a little chess game between these two very strong women. If Chio hasn't repaid her debt within six months after her debut. Not impossible, too little time. Then I will pay you twice over. Why? No could ever. This is very much a sort of a Pygmalion kind of thing when you say John mm. um, Shaw. It's Dickensian in a way, too. The woman that comes to be the mentor to the young apprentice. In a mysterious way. In a mysterious way, exactly. Ever since the Prime Minister bought her Mizuage, she's been rich. Mizuage? That's so? I remember when I read the novel Mizuage, to me, maybe it's because I know French or something. It was Mizuage or something to yeah, me. I had a time. It was incredible learning all of this. And um, it was really helpful. Jessica Drake was our dialect coach on this. And do you remember, John? We, we, we all learned, of course, all of the exact pronunciations of everything, but um, uh, she was very helpful, and I remember giving us lists of things and how they're said, and you know, and, and uh, obviously trying to coordinate all these different actors. I mean, we have um, two Chinese actors here and a Japanese actor here, and, and it's in, uh, both Lee and Zi are speaking English for the first time in a film, and Yuki Kudo is pumpkin, actually lives in Los Angeles, and speaks English beautifully. So she actually had to bring some of her Japanese accent back into her language as the other actors were, were learning to uh, reduce their accents. This tiny world of women, friend turned against friend. And now the two greatest geisha in Miyako are at war over me. Hatsumoma at my back, Mameha calling, offering me the chance to become one of those. This is a, once again uh, our Hanamachi, John Meyer built. And uh, obviously, example of um, of having to do it in another completely different season. Here we are in winter. This is Carrie Tagawa who plays the Baron. Mame has Donna. Mame has Donna, and remember, John, he was in uh, the Last Emperor. He had a role in the Last oh, Emperor. That's right. Yeah, yes. and he was uh, thrilled to be working on this movie. I remember how happy he was. And again, as Michelle just said, this Donna is their patron. Mm -hmm. Well, I think here we begin to learn really what a geisha is. I don't think it's really clear that um, a geisha studies the way she does until we begin this whole sequence. Mm. And do they study? Yeah. 
every geisha I would come upon, I would ask about their lives, and the first thing everyone said was, I have no time. Hmm. They work, they dance all day and study the shamisen and mm-hmm. entertain at night and then sleep four hours and get up the next morning. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Go back to study two days off a month. Well, they're about to, you know, Michelle's actually about to say that they are moving works of art, which is really what they are. Everything about everything about it, them is a performance, you know. Um, they are they are there to entertain as performers. Atsumomo cannot tolerate competition. She's jealous of you? Not me, I'm afraid. Someone closer to home. Rise. It's, she's so naive, ultimately, isn't she, John? Mm. That she's not aware that Hatsumomo's jealous, actually, of her. How could she be jealous? How could this great geisha be jealous of this young girl? What she doesn't see is because she has no self-esteem at all. She feels worthless. She has no idea how special she is, how beautiful she is. And clever. Yeah. yeah. Part of becoming a great geisha is being able to not only entertain the men, but also have great repartee and mm-hmm. know what's going on in current events and they yeah. read the papers and know all that's going on. Mm-hmm. It's very, it, it really is, John, it's an extraordinary profession in that it's unbelievably competitive and you have to, I mean, especially at this time, um, this is sort of the heyday of the, heyday of the geisha and I would say that they really had to I mean, without question, um, be at top of their form, there were so many geisha to survive. Like I said before, the geisha were the ones that were the breadwinners for each, each house. And I don't think people realize either that a geisha could go to 10 or 12 tea houses in a night. That would be, that would be a normal night of, of, of work. This was exciting to create the sequence because two things are happening at once. Obviously, as we progress through the montage of her becoming a geisha, we also see at the same time she's preparing for her debut. And so you were going back and forth between the two. And this was, this felt actually in, in, in a funny way, very much like a musical number um, as we created this, didn't it, John? Mm because it was all about transitions. It, it felt like uh, a piece. And in an odd way, this is the centerpiece of the movie. We had, um, you know, it's all, all, always very tricky in film because you have to condense material. And so in a short amount of time here, we had to show all the different things that ha- she had to do to become a geisha. And it's, um, she's a very short amount of time to become one, but the fact that she's a natural is something. That is, uh, that helps her obviously. Here, uh, for instance, having to play the shamisen after putting her hands in ice, so that the idea is that when you're nervous and you have to play the shamisen, uh, and you're, you feel like your fingers freeze, you'll have been able to master the feeling of that and be able to play through that. This is a shot of our dog, right Gilly. Right there behind the wheel. <laughs> Here she is. She but was the tra- on the set every day. The, yeah, she was on the set every day. But the transitions, for instance, of falling into that rice, John, coming mm-hmm. out of that into the powder of the of the uh, the powder box there. It does all move like a dance. Mm-hmm. 
And this, we were lucky also, we wanted to find a Mameha that had knowledge of dance. Had to, because she had to be the teacher, obviously, so she had to be a brilliant dancer as well. And Michelle studied in London at the Royal School of Ballet. And really did beautiful in our geisha classes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she's, she, she's, 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 I mean, m many people know her from her martial arts work and so forth, but she's an unbelievably physical person and a great dancer and learned so much about becoming a geisha very quickly and knew that she had to do that to become, to play Mameha and really be the teacher. Well, dancers also, the discipline is, is crucial in mm -hmm. a dancer's life. They're disciplined to a fault. And with that, you understand the discipline of a geisha. True. I mean, so many interesting details. Um, obviously, painting your eyebrow with charcoal. I mean, that you literally have just, you know, blown out and extraordinary. And here comes, this is the wax that is put through their hair, which it's, it's odd combination of beauty and cruelty and the harshness of their life, what they have to go through to become this incredible thing that is a geisha, which is almost impossible to really explain ultimately what it is. I think that's what the movie is in some ways, trying to explain what that is. And they're lush pillows. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's The idea, obviously, is that you can't fall off the pillow um, to ruin your hair. So the rice is put there, and now she obviously has to go back to the <laughs> the beauty parlor and have it done again. It's just um, part of the training. I can't imagine, I'm sorry, I can't even imagine um, sleeping on a pillow like that. Along with your thing, Along John? Along with that um, torture of that hot wax and the, the hairdo come, comes this bald spot mm -hmm. that uh, the geishas have at the top, the crown of their heads. Yeah, it's a really sign of achievement. Yeah, they're proud of it. Mm-hmm. And all the many, many layers of the mm -hmm. kimono. Extraordinary are. how many layers there are. I, I remember um, we would have the actors, we'd call the actors and, and I'd find out, oh, well, you know, someone's in, 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 in wardrobe and they're dressing. And I would, at the beginning of the process, I thought, oh, well, they'll be on the set in about 15, 20 minutes. And it was an hour later because it literally took an hour, sometimes an hour and a half to, to just put on the kimono because it's layer after layer after layer. And so ends the sequence, our montage, and we, the idea obviously is that uh, everything that she's been preparing for in those little snippets is, is, is this, is, is this her debut as a Maiko. And her test. Mm -hmm. I remember when we were at the tea house that one night, Rob, mm -hmm. they gave, they give you, being in the seat of authority that evening, mm. the young Michael made her debut. Do you remember? Yes, and she yes. spilled your. Yes, she was mortified. Of course, I was like, "That's fine with me." I. You know, but the first thing she did was spear his beer and sake all over, yeah. and was mortified. She was mortified. <laughs> but you see, just how even Z's holding her hands there, how she's holding her head, how she's turned in, and that wonderful spray of sparks over her shoulder by Auntie, which is for luck, Excellent. and then having to walk in these incredibly difficult shoes.
we're, we did that as actually as all as one shot. We cut into that, but we actually did that whole long shot as one long crane. Uh, was it a crane shot, John? Or was it a dolly shot? Actually, mm -hmm. wasn't it both? Right. Both, yeah. This is our sister's ceremony. Mm -hmm. Once again, shooting through. This is actually through a wall. A cutout on a wall, stone wall. I felt little chill disappear behind the white mask with red lips. You know, when I think about this movie, John, I also, you know, think very much about um, our producers, Doug Wick and Lucy Fisher, and, and how incredibly supportive they were. They worked incredibly hard to get this to the screen. Um, Steven Spielberg, who came along as producer as well for us, was, um, you know, it was how many years in the making? I mean, Stephen at one point Seven. was going to be directing this movie, and it was, um, they held on to this because they believed so much in this. I think the universality of the story um, and the triumph of the human spirit ultimately, I think, was very important to them. And I was, uh, we were very lucky to be working with them as we shaped this from beginning to end. They were very end. helpful in terms of script mm -hmm. and, and were there for every step of the way. Every step of the way. They're great collaborators and great friends. This is a, this is very much um, looks like the Ishiriki Tea House in Kyoto. Very similar. It's actually based exactly on the room that we were entertained in, and it's um, it's all about this. That's you come to the tea house. This is where you perform. You are now on stage, and everything you do, as you see here, how she bows, how she is about to pour the tea here as she pulls her sleeve back and she reveals her wrist, which is a sign of sensuality. Seduction. Seduction. <laughs> this was reminiscent of what you were just talking about, the Maiko that and during the beginning, during her debut, she, she, she fails. Welcome to Sparrow, it is her very first time. So John, this is your yes. incredibly difficult Fan dance. How did? How Which did we have cut down for for? Yeah, to keep the story rolling along. It's part of it. I know. It. I always is tricky. Well, it was the same in Chicago. You mm -hmm. know, as Robbie always said, he was a director and choreographer, and the director would always win. Yeah, to keep the story moving, and but Although, she did a beautiful job on this. The detail. Yeah. I don't think it's, it, you know, it, in some ways it looks simple and effortless, but it's so difficult, isn't it, John? Very difficult. Because it, it, it's so exact. I mean, John, because you were a Bob Fosse dancer, I think that sort of isolation and, and attention to detail is something that comes mm. more easily to you. Well, like any dancer, and just the eye for detail. It's such a different form, because mm -hmm. ballet and jazz in the American state is so up in the air and out of the ground, mm. and this, this dancing is in the floor with pigeon-toed and... Mm -hmm. The ballet's pointed feet and extension out. And how long did Gong Li oh, work on this fan? A thousand trick? times a day. She would do it. A million times. Her name is Sayuri. There were actually three tricks in there, and I said, choose one, and then she said, I'm doing them all. And then I didn't <laughs> want her to, but Rob said, let her do them. Well, she needed to upstage uh, Sayuri. She here. Ling Kwai did such an incredible um, hairdo for Hatsumomo here, and that little loose part that she l shows that she's really the rebel geisha, because that's something a geisha wouldn't do. There's so much I would like to say to Hatsumomo. Sometimes the smartest remark is silence. 
What better advice to follow than Even how they pour that sake, John, is all, it's all uh, very, very specific, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yes. Of course, but it's been such a very long, long... It's so interesting, because I think it really is um, a misconception as to what a geisha is in the Western culture. I mean, certainly I believe they were glorified prostitutes. I had no sense that uh, they, the word geisha means artist. She can destroy. She would spread rumors. And we realize their commitment to their arts mm -hmm. was comparable to a New York City ballet dancer. Very much so. What can we do? Now, of course, a geisha, uh, you make a choice as a teenager, a 16-year-old. You don't start early now. At age 16, you make a choice. Uh, that you want to become a geisha, like you want, like like you would want to become a ballet dancer or a model, um, and they, I think they do it now, really just to to study the traditional arts. This was an incredible set that John Meyer built on a soundstage at Sony, if you can believe it. Um, obviously, because we we were recreating the sumo matches of the 30s. And one of the joys of this was, this is so authentic, everything about it. Um, we had incredible sumo uh, fighters, uh, wrestlers with us. That was, it was really an honor another, to have them. Another Herculean effort by our executive producer, Patty Witcher. Yes. I said, I'd like to have uh, some Japanese sumo wrestlers for the sequence, real ones. And she said, well, that's impossible. You, you can't do that. And I and and. Uh, well, she, I, actually, she didn't say you can't do that. She said, I think that's impossible, Rob. And I said, well, let's see if we can do it. And of course, she delivered incredibly. Here they're introducing the, the fighters in the ring. We are harnessing the power of water to bring electricity to some of the smaller villages. It was in the news. I like very, very much that this whole sequence is very masculine because we're introducing here Koji Yakusho, who plays Nobu, uh, one of the great actors of Japan who um, I think many know from the Japanese Shall We Dance. Somebody said to me early on, because I was just learning about these actors, had seen some of their work, had seen that, but had, didn't really know extensively their work. And Francine Maisler said, oh, well, he really is the Al Pacino of Japan. You know, so you really get a sense of who they are um, by comparing them to actors we know. He really fought for this part. We saw him in Japan, and his English just wasn't up to it. Mm. And he kept working and working, came to L.A., and auditioned again and again, and, and won it. These are two very well-known wrestlers. Um, these are the ones we had. And the, and the referee is a national treasure in Japan. We went to a... Um, um, the whole team, uh, when we took our big trip to Kyoto at the beginning of this whole process, um, we actually went to Osaka and uh, saw a sumo match. And it was great because we had the producers with us, we had the writer, we had the, all the designers, Dion Beebe, the cinematographer. And uh, I can't imagine doing it any other way. We had to really experience it together. And, 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 and I think we were all blown away by the beauty uh, and uh, of the world. It was, um, it was incredibly exciting to do that kind of research and really dig in to see if we could find what it was really like in the 30s. And they really opened their arms to us. They, we were taken around and given a red carpet treatment. Mm -hmm. 
only compared to his opponent. Miyagiyama may use Hatakikomi. This is a sequence that we actually found with Pietro, which was very exciting, Pietro, our editor. We needed to really underscore the fact that, obviously, Sayuri is seeing the chairman really for the first time as an adult. And, um, and, and we worked at sort of changing the sound here um, with our great mixers and Wiley Stateman, our sound designer. It was, it was uh, something that was a sort of a group effort, wouldn't you say, John? Mm. All I can think of is that wonderful sumo wrest, the smaller sumo wrestler. Yeah. And what he went through to, <laughs> to make himself taller. I know. He was too, t he's too t he was too tiny to be one, so he actually had something implanted in the top of his head. He, they're both retired now, both of these um, wrestlers. They just recently retired, but they're very famous. I see now why you like sumo. You can never judge a man's power by his appearance alone. You see, she has the... The red underneath collar there, John, that's the, yes. that's the sign of a maiko. And when you become a full geisha, you, it's changed to white. Turning the collar. Turning the collar. Chose to use Japanese um, as a sort of a, <clears throat> a flavor throughout the film. So, uh, because uh, once again, this is being translated to us by this, as you hear, as you, as you hear by the, um, the storyteller, by the narrator, Sayuri. And so, I felt there were things, there are places where we didn't need to understand. We just needed to get the sense of the flavor. So you, we, you hear Japanese. A lot of the sort of background is is all in Japanese. It's part of the reason we loved using the accents and letting those accents become you know, stay the way they were. The mm. Japanese people had very thick accents, and I do feel, as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm watching another world. It helps me. I think you've always felt that, Rob. That yeah, I mean, I think I've always... One of the great things film can do is take you to another world. I'm certainly... It's something that one of my heroes, David Lean, was able to do so brilliantly. It was really immerse you into a completely different world, whether it be Russia or India, Ireland you know, and, and really feel like you are a part of that world and you're seeing all the odd intricacies of the life and um, the rituals as you see. What? Oh, I will do it for you. Have you gone mad? Do you trust me or don't you? Well? This is um, this was a fun scene to film for Z, who's very funny, and she never gets a chance really in the film to show much humor. But obviously, the great thing about Z is that we'd be doing very emotional scenes, and it would be over, and she would just you know, she she would come to life again, John, and just you remember. She's just, not precious with it. No, she, she's, no, she, she 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 she's just loves life, and she's just she's just infectious to be around. I really feel that an actor like Z comes along once in a generation. All the combination of all those things in one person. This is our Dr. Kraut. Yeah, Randall Duck Kim. Very prominent New York actor. Mm -hmm. New York stage actor. Yeah. He read for every role in this movie. I think he did. <laughs> And the great thing about him as Dr. Crabbe for me was that um, it's kind of a loathsome character on the page. And I, I, you know, even the, the sort of the characters that are creepy or 
odd. You, you still want to f understand them and feel them and make them human, and he was able to do that. You like them, even if they're strange and odd. And only she knew the rules. Ekubo, at the right moment, slip it to Nobu, discreetly. Beautiful door of Mount Fuji there, John. I didn't mm. really get to show that much of John. Yeah. John Meyer had all these incredible sets and pieces sent from Japan so that we could use. And uh, a perfect example is in this scene. There are two tea houses, uh, tea house restaurants that are connected to each other. And um, we call them the veranda restaurants. And if, if you look carefully, the one that Hatsumomo's on is sort of made of almost looks like thorns and sayuri's restaurant that where she is is all water design in wood it's just a, something as as subtle as that john meyer uh you know worked from the story to create these these sets it is a trinket i found it a few days ago I remember one of the tricky things about this, John, if you if you recall, because at nighttime, for whatever reason, it was freezing where we were shooting, and so we were always concerned about the uh, breath coming out. Have you know with um, what's that called, John? Fog, smoke. <laughs> you know, you could see their breath, and so a lot of times they had to actually suck ice before the scene started, so there yeah, wouldn't be so much breath. It helps. It does help. It doesn't. Such a joyous moment, Sayori. You're finally getting what you deserve. <laughs> this is a, a crucial scene for the chairman, obviously, because if he sees um, Nobu's interest in Sayori clearly, and it's, 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 you know, he saw it at the sumo match, obviously, but here he sees it actually really take on a whole nother, a whole nother form. And I think he realizes that he has to step away, which is, of course, his great tragedy. And it's something we don't learn about till the end of the movie. But it's, it's. Um, I mean, one of the tricky things about this movie is that you're seeing it all from her perspective. So. The, we, we don't learn much about what the, what the chairman's going through. We have little glimpses of it throughout. And that was one of the challenges of editing, to be quite honest, was how much of the chairman's heartbreak can we see without giving away everything at the end. So we realize, obviously, that he's loved her all along. But that moment for him, I mean, Ken was extraordinary that way because I would have to say to him, you have to, we have to see what you're feeling but not... In, in such a manner that you're indicating what you're feeling. I mean, it was—it's a really fine line for him to tread, and uh, it was not not easy to do. But um, it, it was a, a real balancing act. Men like that, we call this Mizuagi, and to become a full geisha, we must sell it to the highest bidder. This is a tunnel we used th three or four times in the movie, right, John? Mm. Because they're all over um, uh, Kyoto, and um, and they're wonderful. They really give a sense of that maze like world of, of, of the geisha, of the hanamachi, which means entertainment district. And we would just redress them. Yeah, redress them with uh, different fa uh, different woods, different siding, all imported from Japan. Mm -hmm. 
here you hear John Williams' water music again, John, that mm. it's, it feels like churning as, as her story continues to unfold. That was something that, uh, that John found for us was this, this water theme. Pumpkin always told the truth. But the truth. When I see this scene, I think of Dion Beebe because I think it's extraordinarily lit. I mean, I, I, what he what he was what he's able to do with light, with moonlight here, on these white faces, you know, and. Um, it's it's an, it's amazing to think that both of these characters as well are only 15 and they really are pawns in this this game and they have no control of their life uh, which is something that ultimately Sayuri resists that she has to have the control um, she has to be able to have a voice in her destiny of course not is Mame Hassan cruel to you too no. She's so kind to me. But sometimes I worry she's taking me further from the things I want. I think it's an important line, isn't it, John? Mm. Um, because the only reason she has any interest in becoming a geisha, really, is to reach this man. Because it's the one thing, it's the one hope that she has. She holds onto that handkerchief. Um, it represents hope in a very hopeless world. Don't worry about me, Chiyo-chan. I'll be fine. Bethas are fine. Mother plans to adopt me. So my dream about... Poor pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. There, there are no... It's very, I'm sure, very hard to find friends in this world. And the one person you should be close to is your older sister. Mm -hmm. Her older sister happens to be Hatsumomo. Yeah. So she's out there alone. Hatsumomo has poisoned Dr. Crab against me. Another water transition, John. Mm -hmm. Takes us into the scene. This was also in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, John, if you recall. I do. This scene, I remember, this happens sometimes. You carry a scene because it's a short scene or whatever, or you didn't make your day. That scene was carried, and we, we were going we to shoot that in a million different places. Mm -hmm. One, I remember one was the beauty shop. Yeah. I forget the number, of, but I bet Patty Witcher remembers the number of that scene because it was on the call sheet every day. I don't know if you recall, John, I was concerned about ripping down this poster because I thought it would might be a little too similar to Chicago <laughs> when Catherine Zeta-Jones rips down mm -hmm. the poster at the beginning of the movie. and and uh, But that's a silly concern, mm -hmm. and it made such sense for the movie. It's interesting, though. It's it's someone else, you know. She was ripping. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> know, it's, show business is well, ripping. Well, I mean, that's the ir irony about all this. One of the reasons I really wanted to do this film, following Chicago, was to do something completely different and and do something dramatic and 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 really stretch myself and try something that was new. And um, and of course, that's very much what this was. But. Um, someone said to me, you know, you do realize that this is, a, you're still doing a, uh, there's this still a story of women rivals in show business. <laughs> so I guess there's a, there's something, uh, 
I don't know what's wrong with me, but um, something similar there, obviously. This is the first scene we shot with Z and with uh, Michelle backstage. But just it's just a wonderful backstage, don't you think, John? Because mm -hmm. because they're kneeling. It's it was so so different than shooting a normal backstage. Obviously, this was an incredible theater that we found in Los Angeles that we completely gutted and created. I mean, all the the whole, uh, the audience are on their knees. Um, they're all on pillows on their knees, and uh, and this, of course, is the spring dances, John, which you mm -hmm. did an enormous amount of work on. Remember, we 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 struggled for the look of this, and and when we decided to create a cherry blossom curtain, that was. Uh, that was something that really set us free because we, we didn't want, we wanted to invent this and um, make this slightly more, more modern in a way. So why don't you tell us the story, John, of this dance that you created here? Well, it, it started from, I made a dance DVD and one of the images that everyone fell in love with was there were these eight inch black lacquered shoes. And so I took it, and, and what I found out was that these courtesans wear them in these processionals. So I made her a courtesan, and she has been spurned by her patron, and flips out, goes crazy, and uh, goes out in the snow, and goes and is off to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Suicide being a huge theme in their, in their dances. So this is actually in some ways Kabuki-inspired, is that right, John? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the story is, she knows this woman as well as she knows Sayuri, Z. Yeah. She knows every movement means something. And mm -hmm. this poor woman who is, will be, you know, all her earthly possessions now will be ripped from her. Mm -hmm. um, Colleen, our costume designer, worked very hard. I wanted this robe to be ripped off in the middle, and I didn't want to cut away. And she worked and worked and worked and worked and, and finally figured it out. But the idea of this lonely figure in the snow, what's interesting about all of this and sort of the madness that she goes through and the fact that she ultimately is on her way to commit suicide, I think the reason that really struck a chord for both of us was the fact that it really in some ways mirrors the frustration of what she's going through in, in, in the real story. And the fact that she has no voice and can't speak and, and the emotion behind having to hold on to her to, to all her secrets and not being able to love who she wants to love all that frustration i think is why sayuri succeeds so brilliantly in this dance exactly i would have long discussions with her about that once that curtain opened she didn't even realize in rehearsals um of her own rehearsing this this dance in the film of course how much emotion she would have when she mm -hmm. went out in front of these people because and how she, much a correlate how much how deeper mm -hmm. she would go because she's dancing for the chairman. I mean, everything she says early on, she says, everything I will do now, from now on, will be for the chairman. And the fact that he's there and she sees him there in the audience, um, I think she realizes this is her chance to be seen. She's waiting for him to claim her. John, you introduced me to these incredible yeah, streamers. I love them. This is part of my dance video as well, these incredible Japanese. They use them as spiders in the on stage and, mm -hmm. and they're they're really kabuki streamers and we sent away for them and, and we thought what a wonderful way for her to enter the party 
course, we call it the opening night party. <laughs> <laughs> this was um, this was actually filmed at Yamashiro Restaurant in Los Angeles. We took it over, and it became so many things for our film. And um, it sits at high atop Los Angeles. Now everybody knows our secrets, John. It's I know. all. <laughs> it's all. Out. But you know, the great thing was be able was being able to combine these this location work with what we built and with our our our, our um our work in Japan. There's one of our players, John, who actually played in our orchestra for yes. John Williams. Indeed. Did you invite the chairman to my estate this weekend? It's my annual blog. What are the name of those discs, John? Those red discs. Uh, Sanangasa. Sanangasa, and that's uh, th that's a traditional Japanese dance that the woman's doing behind there, right, in the background. Yeah. There's not much vocabulary in that dance, but mm. <laughs> she's doing all of it. That's great. <laughs> she's right there behind. Well, I there. love how the the hat sort of is the disc as part well. Of the, yes, yeah, it, it is, becomes part it of the design of the dance. No, their props are just stunning. The magic they do with very simple, simple props. I think that's what we learned a lot about, which is the fact that simplicity in the design, the simplicity um, in their performance is, 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 I mean, is what it's all about, the subtlety. And the care they give everything. It's mm -hmm. funny because when I go there, you always stay the same person no matter where you go or what you do, but you do, there are different aspects that come into your being. I, I place dishes down differently mm. and I'm aware of different things yeah. when I'm in Japan. This is Japan right here. This is actually the first shot that we shot in Japan. It's uh, a bamboo forest um, just outside Kyoto. And uh, we had we didn't have to do very much to it. Yeah. It's right there. The most desired has moved. Her first trip in a car. That was some car. Mm-hmm, beautiful. Maybach. And here we are going to see the $100,000 cherry tree <laughs> right there. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, you know, um, we built that tree. Um, John Meyer built that tree limb by limb and uh, blossom by blossom. And, uh, you know, it, it really is very much like um, this incredible tree in Mirayuma Park in Kyoto, which is people come from all over, all over the world to, to see this tree at, at uh, cherry blossom time. And so we, we decided to build this, this grand party around the viewing of that one tree. I'd like to, to thank you for your attention to Nobu-san. This is one of the rare scenes between the two of them. It's very difficult actually sort of building a story, a quote-unquote love story, um, uh, around characters that don't meet and talk much. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a very unique love story in that way. They love from afar. And it's not until the very end where they're able to be truthful. Um, I don't think people really understand, ultimately, uh, how important in Japanese culture it is to respect another man's wishes, especially a friend. In, 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 in our movie here, obviously, Nobu has um, given his life ultimately for the chairman and, and became scarred because of it. Um, and so the chairman owes him this incredible debt. 
so much so um, he feels such uh, sort of a, uh, he owes him such a debt that he can't step into the way of his love for this young woman who is is his is the chairman's love so it's um it's extraordinary when you think about that john don't you mm -hmm. i mean it really is that that he he holds that above his own heart there you are. i have a present for you but that's sort of w one of the very few intimate moments they have it's quite venerated my grandfather and father collected kimono before me. I've given a number of valuable kimono to Mamea. I'd like to give presents to beautiful girls. The idea behind the design of this um, kimono room was really a cage where she's caught. And um, once again, John helped Dion and myself create the sense of a, a, different, a different world, different space, peering in through the fabric here. And uh, this is a real, really a museum quality um, kimono that he's giving her as a gift. It's one of the sort of more extraordinary kimono in the movie. There, I can't even, there were thousands of <laughs> kimono in the movie, but this one was, um, is very rare. The detail is extraordinary. Don't worry. I interviewed Z at this uh, function and asked her what the most difficult scene for the movie for, what was for her, and she had said this scene. Mm -hmm. Because she's in a position where she can't really fight um, because of the position she's in, which is, is un, doesn't make a lot of sense for a modern woman. So to place yourself in that kind of helpless position was so painful for her. Um, and I remember we made a very conscious choice to show the layers of kimono as he takes them off of her instead of every single one when she's dressing for her debut. We were looking for a place to show the different layers and how much there was involved and how much binding there was and so forth. And it was during the sequence we thought, let's show it actually when it's coming off. And um, as she clutches the handkerchief of the chairman. Yeah. We decided to shoot it in these mirrors, these incredibly antique mirrors, to really give a sense of um, her humiliation. Right, it's not only happening to her, but she's seeing it reflected back. She's her. seeing herself, exactly. on the wind so careless Dion and I decided to shoot this um, whole sequence behind this uh, glass um, 
it was real. I, I really felt in many ways this was a kabuki play. The sequence that where where they um, confront each other, and I also wanted to give a sense of isolation. Uh, her uh, isolation at the end when she's alone. It was time to be worthless. I'm not worthless. I am not worthless. That was a main trick. <laughs> well, we didn't tell uh, Z that Michelle would say her final line and exit with such fury. And um, I, we kept the camera rolling, and uh, Z just broke. I don't like to do that normally. I mean, I think actors can really summon the emotion without having to play a trick. But I, I just, we just felt that she needed to feel that great sense of um, despair and that she's alone. And she's the only woman that's given her anything in terms of friendship. To, yeah, so to turn, have her turn her back on her was... When she was wrong, too, I mean. Right, exactly. So it was something we just thought we'd try. And uh, Z, Z knows, I mean, I, I, it's very important for me to take care of my actors. I really feel that they have to feel comfortable, they have to feel safe so that they can actually try things and not be afraid of failure and being be able to try anything without having to feel like they're being judged. So I don't like to do that normally, but I, that, I think it's something we tried. It goes to this of here, all the 15,000 yen, to this estate. I do not understand. That's really where they inherit as my adopted daughter. What? Adoption is such an important part of the Okia because it really means that you have a future and that you have uh, security for your life. Um, because when you become adopted, you also inherit the Okia. And Pumpkin's great fear, knowing that she's not a natural geisha, is that she will have no place to live out her life. And so she's, I think she, right here she sees the writing on the wall that this will not be her Okia, that she has no further life here, that she will not become a successful geisha, and that the only choice for her probably at this point would be prostitution. Gong Li and I sat and talked about this scene. This was really something that Lee felt was necessary. She said it wasn't in the original script. She, f she really felt it was important that she and Mother go head to head so that all the pretense is dropped. Because the downward spiral has begun. And the shift of power has uh, started here, obviously. She can burn a camera with her look so unbelievably powerfully. It's extraordinary. I mean, uh, Gongli is really a force. We will see. Well, the depth of feeling. I remember her after her, her last night of filming, how you took her by the hand and walked through this Okia, and she just wept. You both didn't speak, and she just wept. She asked, she asked to, to, to walk each room and to remember what had happened in each room, and 
and we, right, we didn't speak, but we just walked from room to room, and she, she loved this character, and it was very hard for her to let it go. Everything we wanted, you made it happen. Thank you. This is once again in our Hanamachi that we built, and we actually did something because the final line in the scene is, tonight the lights in the Hanamachi all burn for you. That's what Mameha says to Sayuri. So because of that, we added m more red lanterns than we normally would have. We wanted it to be filled with red lanterns uh, to really give a sense that this is, this is Sayuri's moment. And what's interesting is she has won, basically. She's become the great geisha, and her Mizuwage has been sold. Her virginity has been sold for the highest amount ever. But it's such an empty, an empty win because she's lost everyone around her. And all she really wants, ultimately, is to reach the, the man that she loves. I remember the scene with Michelle was interesting because when we first shot it, she just wept during the scene. And then I took her aside and spoke to her. I, I said, I'm so glad you feel that and that you have that emotion. Now hold back. <laughs> and don't let us see any of that which was something that was, she understood because it's the role of Mameha would never show that. She'd only, she'd deeply, deeply hide it underneath. And uh, I give her a lot of credit for taking that direction and having that restraint. Because while everybody's that, crying and mm -hmm. throwing things, she holds on. Yeah, she did. And I think it's what makes that scene powerful is that she's able to still feel um, guilty for putting Sayuri in that position even though she, her heart is breaking because she's lost the Baron. This scene um, obviously is when she gives up her virginity, which if you can possibly imagine is sold. Of course, this no longer happens, and uh, I think it was one of the most controversial things about the novel, and one of the reasons why some of the older establishment in Kyoto, for instance, um, weren't pleased and, and, and didn't like the novel and don't like the story because it, it seems to, you know, explore this idea of, of the selling of, of virginity, and obviously it happens no longer, but it did happen then. This was Kaori's final scene in the movie, I remember, her final shot. And I thought it was appropriate that it was her final shot in the film because she's, she's able to show a more human side to the character now that uh, Sayuri is a full geisha. Finally become a woman, you see in her face the, um, the emotion. What are you doing in my room? This is something that was completely invented, something I found we needed to do. This is the perfect example of how you have to take a novel and turn it into a film. You, you can't sometimes do something, which the novel does very well, of slowly unraveling a character like Hatsumomo until she kind of just falls apart. I felt we needed to do something more economical and something in some ways very operatic. And so that's why 
this this scene of Hatsumomo's is um, this this is really her final demise. There's a moment here, I guess we just passed it, right, Sean, where the where where as they were fighting, see you see the lantern has fallen, and that wasn't intended. We choreographed it differently. Yes, but because it happened, we decided that's how the fire will begin, just as an accident. So sometimes it's great for me anyway to really be on the lookout for mistakes because sometimes they're better than what you have planned. We, we wait for those mistakes. You wait. <laughs> it's hard to pray for mistakes. I'll t we, we choreographed this fight very, very carefully, and the incredible thing about these two actors is we started showing them what to do, and they, they, they said, what is all this, all this choreography? And they just jumped into it and started fighting with each other, throwing each other around. And again, so we had physical. doubles for them to, to show them. No, yeah. they, wanted, they no. wanted to do it all no, themselves. No, they had to feel it, yeah. But see, and and then obviously they come back into the room, and the fire is, has already started, and it it, it it happened obviously because of their, be, uh, because they were fighting, and it was it just, and then it was be, instead of so right here, obviously Hatsumomo uses that idea and, and starts to burn down the Sokia, just burn down her life. Unfortunately, she almost did get, yeah, burned. She did. <laughs> sure, here, yeah. I have to talk about Gong Li here for a moment because. The day we shot this, she never left the set. She needed to feel the emptiness, the, the anger, the torture, the sadness, all of it. Um, so as we were relighting things and moving cables around her, she just stood in one spot and never moved and just sat there crying quietly to herself so she couldn't she would have the emotion you see in that face at the end there and um, I'll never forget when Pietro uh, and I put the sequence together it was um, it was all there in, in that performance and it pays off I can be now I engage you to this house it was hard to be around her on these days I remember yeah well, she takes it so seriously. This is one of those shots that you do that you're afraid you've lost the light. And um, thank God we got it right before the light went. I, we were afraid that the light was too low, I remember, because that's something that's unfair to ask an actor to do over and over again, something, something that emotional. This was another pivotal image. Mm -hmm. We saw, there was a series of, when, during our, our research, we saw this incredible image of a Tory gate with those bombers flying over them. And we said we need to do that in the film because that's the change of the end of a golden era uh, of Japan. The change, the really, it's, it, it, it's sort of perfect in a way that the demise of Hatsumomo really coincides with the demise of the, the Japan, the Japan that we know, and um, um, in, in many ways, I think Hatsumomo does represent Japan itself. This, this had a profound impact on everyone that would step on the set after they knew it in its, as you say, glory days. Mm -hmm. It really was. I mean, we had to, we dusted down the entire set, and all the beautiful cobblestones, for instance, and streets were replaced with dirt, covered with dirt. Um, oh, the lanterns ripped to shreds. Right. 
it was really it was really shocking to walk onto the set. And if you see, um, there's a, there's a sort of a, a tone to the light here. We actually Dion uh, came up with this incredible idea of covering the entire set in silk to to be able to control the light, so we never looked like we were in Southern California here. We could 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 have this have the light be what we needed it to be. I mean, in Japan, there was something unbelievably magical about the light, and here it was important to create a sense of coldness and starkness to the world. You must not go. The city is a prime target. Get your things, quickly. Nova and I are trying to find safe havens for as many of you as we can. Come. Here. Work certificate. NASA's aid. Friend of mine this, here you obviously see the chairman making sure he's taking care of Sayuri without being, without telling her. He's showing, but he can't say. So he's there to protect her and send her away from harm. This is the Arima. He will take you into the hills. Nobody has got a friend there. A kimono maker. Anyone stops you, show them this. Do I have to go? It's remote. You will be safe. What about you? You said Osaka was dangerous. Our factory is there. I have no choice. This is um, so emotional, I think, ultimately, because will they see each other again, John? You know, will they ever, you know, the war, so many, so many um, people obviously were lost, but mm -hmm. the geisha world was, it was, there was so few left. This water transition and this shot was the most difficult shot in the film because, and it came from actually a budgetary reasons uh, in a funny way, uh, because we didn't have the money really to show Japan during the wartime. And, um, but in an odd way, it forced me to create a transition that would take us through the war that was more poetic and more personal and subjective. So we see die obviously coming off we see die in the water which we believe is blood and then we realize it's actually die coming from the kimono and she is now no longer um the beautiful geisha sayuri but she is an unrecognizable peasant one of many and this is all one shot done with a techno crane that we had to helicopter in because where we were was so remote and unbelievably um muddy we couldn't could barely um, get the, the actors in and out, let alone the equipment. It's freezing cold. Yeah. And slippery, slippery rocks yeah, and a I current. Mean, I remember, John, you were in that water and with, was. you were in the water with wetsuit on, and mm -hmm. they all had wetsuits on underneath their uh, costumes. Um, it was in January and it was freezing, and I, and I, I remember, you, you know, the second we'd see y'all cut, they would go flying out of the water. This, um, this idea of the, the, the kimono being rinsed in, in, in the water and also hung to dry on these bamboo poles is, is very real. And it's um, something that's done in rural parts of Japan. And um, 
there's an incredible book by Cecil Beaton that had images of um, of of these fabrics hanging on these bamboo poles. They're so stunning. And John Meyer and I saw those. He found them and brought it to me. And and we said, well, this is the perfect place for to play the scene uh, between Nobu and Sayuri. This is all the remains of our factories. <laughs> I mean, you drove John crazy with the colors. <laughs> yeah. You picked every oh, I want this one brown, and there's too many colors. And I know. Well, it's it, funny. It was important, you know. Obviously, the red one needed to be there to m make the transition work, and so we really, I wanted to more earthy colors. I remember when we first got there, there were a lot of very bright ones. It just felt wrong for the sequence. So John, being the incredible. <laughs> You know, soldier that he is, he just <laughs> ripped them all down and put up earth tones. If a tree has no leaves or branches, can you still call that tree? <laughs> With nothing but rubble at my feet. It's extraordinary when you hear Koji speak. He speaks no English, right, Sean? None. And um, the fact that he was able to act and speak. I mean, I, I really am astounded um, by the work that these actors did to speak English. And it really is a singular achievement. And... Um, I think in many ways historic that, 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 that we were able to use these international actors in their first English language role. Mm. I need American financing. There is a man, a certain Colonel Derricks, who has the power to grant us a contract. I showed him your picture. <laughs> What's great about um, Z for me here is that she's, you are able to see her older here you see that you see the transition you she's not just the young 15 year old you see the years of the war and you see the maturity and and, and the change and I, I think she was she was you know even though we shot out of order she was very aware of constantly what age she was playing and, and where she was in her story she's only 25 when we shot this that you could still melt the heart of any man no matter how resistant I am not accustomed to There's a shot coming up here. I remember Steven Spielberg saying, too, it was his, his favorite shot in the film because it looks like there's literally water coming. This is it right here. Water coming from her face. One of those wonderful, happy accidents that you find and love. First American face. Yep. This, now, this is the third time that we changed the, the Hanamachi look-wise. It's now the American occupation. This was also shocking, walking onto the set and seeing English signs and seeing chairs at tea houses mm. and obviously, you know, military and uh, vehicles and, and personnel. And, but this was all based on real research we did. You see here now prostitutes are wearing the white makeup and um, calling themselves geisha. So the line becomes blurred between what a real geisha is and what a prostitute is. And I think that's where this confusion began. And um, the truth is, obviously, the prostitutes are the furthest thing from geisha. <laughs> but the guys would say, I got myself a geisha girl. That's what the that's what the GIs would say. I got myself a geisha girl. and. Um, and I, I think it really is about a, a about a lost art, at least in terms of the amount. It's still there and still in incredibly strong, but it's just a di it's different now, obviously.
It's hard to believe this is that beautiful apartment that they did that little dance in, and she met her for the first time. It's true. All broken up into rooms. Yeah. Well, Mamea is a survivor, ultimately, really. And you see that the tables have turned now. Sayuri now is trying to give Mameha support and encouragement and try to bring her to life as a geisha again. So the roles have switched. I did keep one kimono. Baron gave it to me when he became my Danna. Coming up here, uh, I'll say is my favorite shot in the film. <laughs> um, it's 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 actually it's it's very simple. It's just um, it's a close up of Sayuri, but to me it says everything because you see everything in her face in one shot. Right here it begins. How she feels for Mameha the sadness of the loss of the time, trying to lift herself up, the joy that she's trying to hold on to. I've told Z that, <laughs> and I remember at some of the premieres, she'd lean over to me and <laughs> give me a little nudge, because she knows yeah. that's my favorite. And thank you, Pietro, for showing that to me and, <laughs> <laughs> and saying, what do you think of this, which was great. So she's playing some of the geisha games with mm -hmm. these. This is one. This is ones we played in Kyoto, yep. right, John? Yeah. Played a lot of those paper, scissor. Yeah, they're like children's games. games. Yeah. But I think it's you know men disappear into the tea houses. You know, at that time, obviously they, most of them were were part of arranged marriages, so they didn't really love the women they were married to, and so they they found you know their love in the in in, in the tea houses where they could choose a geisha. And that's who they had fun with, and that's who they, you know, had dinner with. And, and it was accepted. Mm -hmm. The woman stayed home, and a lot mm -hmm. of times they were glad to stay home and have the man go off. Right. Different cultures. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget Pumpkin coming onto the set, Yuki coming onto the set, and nobody recognized her. She just walked by everybody. Nobody even, even recognized her. Um, in her 40s do here. I love this scene for her. It's pathetic. It is pathetic. And we also find out that she's lying through all of this in a few scenes. Every bit of it is a lie. It comes from the deep, deep hurt. Mm -hmm. Yuki Kudo from um, Snow Falling on Cedars and yes. uh, Mystery Train. Mm -hmm. Here we see the transition of everybody. Mother now, of course. Businesswoman? Mm hmm. Obviously, not the geisha house isn't making money, so she's uh, running the black market. You see all of her <laughs> stash right here in the old kimono closet. Everything from irons to... And you see the little girl there in that last liquor, scene. She's yeah. keeping the, she's keeping her investment going, preparing someone for the future. The threadbare silk. See? You are yourself again. The world had changed completely. Had he? Obviously, this transition for Sayuri having to become a geisha again for only one reason. To reach him. 
I love the scene. Z was supposed to wait for this guy, and she just goes right away. <laughs> she just great. We said why. She said, oh, I'm too nervous. <laughs> the character's too nervous because she... She, she, she has to tell him. She has to finally tell him. And she doesn't even know what he'll look like. Just look at you, Sayuki. It's as if the war did not happen. I'm so glad to see that the chairman is safe. Please accept my apologies asking this anymore. I think she looks beautiful here. One of the most beautiful. Yeah. Well, she's a radiant human being. Yeah. I, I watch the way she eats, the way she speaks. She's just charmed. Mm, she is. Not unlike a young Audrey Hepburn, you've right. said. Right, very much so. And, uh, and Paul Adelstein as, uh, Lieutenant Hutchins. A mystery that perhaps you can solve. Would you mind? Can we? Yes, Colonel? Sure. He really, Ted Levine really tread the line, didn't he, John, between, you know, being this kind of smarmy, smarmy <laughs> character and being someone who's, you know, has educated. integrity and educated integrity and classy and did He's, a really great job. Yeah, yeah. He's such a good actor. Many people remember him from Silence of the Lambs. Yes. This character is actually a Japanese character, and uh, I remember Robin in the book. In the book, and and Robin felt it was it would be good to really sort of illustrate um, post-war the compromises they have to make, um, and ultimately, I remember in the book it was a Japanese minister who actually uh, was the character, and and uh, this I thought it made a lot of sense. Dinah Shore, specifically because Pumpkin talks about uh, Dinah Shore. Mm -hmm. And the three little sisters, the three geisha going off to yeah. try to help the chairman and mm -hmm. Nobu. In any way they can, obviously. Get their business back on track. Now this is um, uh, very much a per-Japanese custom that men and women bathe together. It's such a, such a odd combination of things when you think that you know even just the glimpse of a wrist or the back of a neck is sensual and then and the subtlety of that and then the fact that in a bath they can be together like this and um, I mean it's not always like this but this 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 was directly from the book and um, different entrances of course yeah yes and it's not sexual it's um it's a ritual and the floating sake trays and they have they have fruit floating in the water it's there's nothing quite like the japanese bath it's that's why every spa <laughs> that i've ever seen is really based on japanese culture because it's just it's it's an it's incredible ritual you don't bathe in them you soak if you guess right the liar pays the price oh it's also freezing cold <laughs> yeah the water was warm, though, we I remember, John. the water here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember directing the water in big boots here. Mm -hmm. We were all in the water. A fisherman caught a talking fish. The other story in the two one. <laughs> and I haven't even had it yet. <laughs> no, no, you drink, you drink, you drink. Oh, if I drown, it's no, all your, your fault. Turn. So many things happening in this scene with just little glances and looks between everybody, and especially if you watch the movie again, you see... What Pumpkin's doing here, what 
what no, how Nobu's feeling, jealous, obviously. The chairman trying to avert um, Sayuri's eyes. Sayuri desperate to do what she's doing right here, and which is desperately trying to connect with him and let him know that she knows who he is. And obviously, the chairman purposely stopping this game. So there's, there really is so much underneath each of these scenes. It's, there's a whole nother, obviously another layer. I think that's what made it interesting for these actors to play. What is the protocol? Excuse me? I love this moment here, John, because Sir Yuri gets to stand up. You start feeling her strength, and she gets to tell him what a geisha is. It's not what you think it is. If they were a price, you could never afford it. Yes, the mask is a bit taken off, mm -hmm. you know, there. She does yeah. not, doesn't have to play any games with him. Right. What did you promise him? Your company, nothing more. He seemed to expect a great deal. If I had wanted this is another perfect example of working with a Japanese actor and a Chinese actor in one scene, especially a very emotional scene. I remember rehearsing this over and over again because we had to deal with the language issue. But I know uh, Z, for instance, loved working with Koji because he's such a good actor. Can't you see that I want you for myself? You have ruined me. Before we met, I was a disciplined man. I should not have asked you to come. Such a tricky role to play because he loves her and he wants to possess her which is what she doesn't want. She does not want to be possessed um, as, as an object, which is really how Nobu sees Sayuri. She wants to love freely. And how did he let himself get in this situation? He's always the one that doesn't like Aisha, mm -hmm. you know, and to allow himself this vulnerability is. Mm -hmm. If he ratifies our contact, then I will be a man of means again. There is nothing I want more. Sir. You start feeling that Sayuri is um, is being trapped here, and she. This is the, this. I mean, you start you start to feel it the the, the moment um, that she's at the airplane and Pumpkin arrives and so forth, and, and she starts being pulled away from the chairman. But here, it's all the walls are closing in on her. This is this this is where she's feeling. That, she, that something has to change. I do not like things held up before me that I cannot top. When you first introduced me to Nobu. She needs to be proactive now. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just, that's just not a geisha's practice. No. But I really think this, this scene here between Mameha and Sayuri really explains the difference in philosophy. I mean, uh, Mameha really sees that a geisha has no choice. Geisha become geisha without choice. And that's how they live. They put their heart on ice and they don't, they can't have the, the, um, the choice to, to, to the love. Freedom of choice, the freedom yeah. of choice to love. That's how Mameha exists. That's how she, that's how she becomes the great geisha. But that's something Sayuri cannot deal with. We don't become geisha to pursue our own destinies. We become geisha because we have no choice. Obviously, that's not enough for Sayuri. She needs. Uh, she wants. She needs to uh, 
pursue our own destiny. And it's the water, you hear the water music. This water music, to me, that John Williams created here very much feels like drowning because I think that that's where she is here. And this, and you, you see this cue, this cue keeps going all the way through this whole sequence. It just keeps escalating and escalating. It's nine o'clock. Bring Noble to the pool. I'm a far side of the garden. Not a minute before, not a minute after. Yes? These, the, uh, John, do you remember both of these shots were done about so late. three weeks apart? Oh. Maybe a month apart. I thought you were going to say how late at oh, night yeah, they yeah. were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, yes, so, but sometimes, apart, yes. well, we lost the light. That's why mm -hmm. it was so late. And on Sayuri's side, we lost the light. So we, we, we had to do Pumpkin's Reverse in, in a completely different um, location weeks or months later. Yeah. It's, uh, at least so, one month, yeah. yeah. This is how far she'd go. Yeah, I mean, this is this this is the this is the incredibly humiliating part of it all. Um, obviously, that she has to that she has to go this far to uh, to to rid herself of Nobu and to so that she'll be free to reach the chairman. John Williams score here. John just really, mm. I mean, when you play the sequence without it, it, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother movie. But to have that tension Are we doing this or not? really makes it. Um, Geisha rarely kiss. Am I right, John, about that? That's what, uh, yeah, that's what I, was I was told. told. Yeah, because that's something that's so personal. It's funny, we say, I was told we found a lot of discrepancy. Yes. <laughs> of course, like in any culture. Well, of course, here's the, here's the great betrayal. The denouement. I remember when I've seen it in, in the audience, there's always a gasp there. Mm. Even people that know, that read the book. Yeah. You, you... Well, because you just can't imagine that it's not Nobu, and you can't imagine that she would do this to her. And then here it's revealed, obviously. It's really classic in nature, um, this, uh, the storytelling here. It's just, it's, you know. Because I know how you feel about me. A long time ago, you took something from me. The only thing I've ever truly wanted. Deeply sad to me. That's mm -hmm. The scar she'll hold forever. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to Yuki a lot about this because it informed her entire character and how she played the latter half of this movie for herself. The wound, which Sayuri never meant to do, you know what I mean? It wasn't, I mean, you know. It's all perception, like right. life, you know. This was actually shot um, in Northern California. And, um, beautiful shot here mm. that John you actually did <laughs> which was incredible to have her step into that that was fantastic I love seeing the hair moving forward and her entering this um, 
the one CGI uh, element here was there was a fence around, but we wanted to remove that uh, so that she would it would look as dangerous possible uh, dangerous as possible as if she would really maybe even possibly jump. This was sad because communicating to her, I was back way back on the hill and she was out there all alone. Yeah. And then, of course, here's our great helicopter shot coming up that we, uh, <laughs> our one, our one helicopter mm. sh helicopter shot in the film, but it was um, something that's rehearsed and rehearsed over and over again, and uh, it really is, uh, you know, incredible thing to actually accomplish when you can, when you can do something with size like this that also tells story. This sequence here was something that we invented actually later on. This wasn't in the script because we needed to feel the sense of time and the f sense of loneliness um, and that she now is really empty, just a vessel, has given up her dream with the handkerchief. Her life is ultimately over and she will be the geisha. She won't be, she will be the perfect geisha now. She will just live a life without without heart. It's how she's trained, it's how she'll mm -hmm. continue on. This is Japan, obviously a, mm. a beautiful shrine in Kyoto. This is also Japan. This is actually right in the Gion district. The rest is shadows. The rest is secret. Sayuri, quickly. The tea house just called. You are to meet a very important client tonight. Part I like about that transition there, what you did was that uh, all the other water is moving, and that's the one, as soon as she goes back to the Okia, the first image is the water and the stones, and the, there's no movement in the water. It really was, we, we looked for uh, everything that we could find. Actually, that whole sequence was shot in Japan, every bit of it. And the 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 feeling was as we put this together was to create sort of a dead world Finally, on my investment. and you see here so Yuri's putting on the mask again and starting again but has um is hollow inside no can never hope for more. And that's what she's learning to live by, that no geisha can ever hope for more. That's it. That's Your life is, is, is something you don't have any say in. Your life is given to you, and you follow, and you don't lead. John Meyer built this um, pathway based on a stone path that we saw in the water. Um, mm in a shrine in Kyoto, and uh, this, is all, this is all shot actually in uh, San Francisco. Everything fall that you see here was placed here um, because it really was um, winter. So all the color is something we, we brought in, as was the um, beautiful pagoda that John built here with the, uh, with the bells hanging from them. Well, this scene, John, is the, the scene of the film because it's almost like you work back from this scene. I did that constantly when I was working with Doug Wright or I was working with Robin. It was always about working backwards from this scene um, 
because this is the r reveal, obviously. This is, it all has to play from here. Chairman, what happened on the island? Please, you do not have to explain. We were on this very small platform shooting this, and you know there were always a hundred grip and a hundred cameramen, a hundred everybody, wardrobe, everything, and we're all out on this little island, and it, and it is obviously very important that everybody be very still for this emotional scene so that they can play this. We all knew how very important this was. I would I couldn't even say cut at the end of the scene. <laughs> Every time we shot it, we didn't do it that many times because you can't. Um, but I remember everyone was weeping because finally these two, you know, it, it, it can say speak from their heart, and and it's it's interesting. You know, there's this this very sort of grand big canvas on which is painted this very little small story. And that's what's so interesting. It's a very little story about a young girl and a, and, a, and a man who changes her life by showing her act of kindness and how she, she spends her life trying to reach him and he has loved her all along. It's very small and it all ends with this very small moment. It is not too late. Don't be afraid to look at me, Chiu. He calling her Chiu again. Right. He knew her as a child. He knew he knows who she really is. It's more than the geisha, more than Sayuri, this invented persona. Every step I have taken since I was that child on the bridge has been to bring myself closer to you. And we hear Sayuri's theme, so beautifully played by Yo-Yo Ma here. And I remember the orchestra when they were playing this, John, I don't know if you remember this, remember. they were weeping too. I just think it's because it's the release of finally being able to speak. And Sayuri's first real kiss in her life. And as we always say, it's about finally finding the chairman, but it's about much more than that. Mm. It's much more than boy girl meets boy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about finding hope in life and being able to um, reach ultimately yourself, I think. Through a connection, mm -hmm. yeah. You cannot say to I think this um, final voiceover is very profound in many ways because the truth is she'll never be his wife because he is married, has children, as all um, men do have geisha, or most anyway. But for her, it's plenty. Um, I think it really is ultimately about a story about a child who's ripped from her family and ripped from love, and then ultimately finds love again. Even though it's not a pure love in our culture, for her, it's enough. 
And that's why we see this young child running with the joy and the hope of what that love can bring. And still preserving a bittersweet finale. Yeah. This, um, this end sequence was, was, was thrilling to work on with our, the artist Garson Yu because it really was about, obviously about the water, and this is once again uh, Isak Perlman playing the chairman's waltz, and um, I loved the sort of abstractness of this. I see Stephen's name here, and he was incredibly encouraging, I have to say, and uh, helpful along the way. Um, Roger and Gary obviously were our heroes, financially saving us and helping us. And um, I really feel that Amy Pascal at, at Sony was someone, someone who, who championed this for many, many years. And I'm so um, thrilled to work with her because of her passion behind this project. And what's interesting is as you see, you start to see the clarity of what's coming. You see the, obviously that it's been a kimono, which I thought was a lovely touch. And, and end, end credits are becoming, I think, more popular now because you can get, launch right into the movie. As you see, we have images. This is sort of, in, a, in, in, in some ways, um, like a bow, when you say, John? Yeah. Um, and I thought it was important because I, uh, not many people know these actors, so to be able to connect their name to their face, I thought was good. But also, you remember them. Um, we, I, we did it in Chicago too, and something I like. I like I like remembering the and seeing the company. It probably comes comes from <laughs> my work in theater, theater yeah. right? Exactly. So, little bow for each. Yeah. Suzuka. Such a, such an extraordinary young woman. Well, thank you for sharing this with us. <laughs> that was thrilling. I had a great time, John. Yeah. It's um, you know, it's what's amazing about film is that it's so much more than just the two hours and twenty minutes. It's it's you know, it's years of work.